Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT. Because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes and guises. From the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer. Which is why no matter what line of work you're in, They've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello, this is the Redbox Podcast. I'm Matt Chorley, bringing you the best of my Times Radio show. Don't forget you can listen live to Times Radio on your DAB radio, on your smart speaker or on the Times Radio app. But I know that lots of you catch up with the best bits on the podcast and lots of you around the world as well. We've just had an email in from Harry saying, just wanted to send you a quick note saying how much I love the Red Box Politics podcast. I love following British politics and your podcast and the guests you have, columnist conversations and the coverage of PMQs keeps this American up to date on all the political happenings across the pond. Sending you all my gratitude and respect from San Francisco and thank you for being a part of my morning routine. So good morning to Harry, wherever you're listening. And on the subject of PMQs, we've got a very special PMQs Unpacked coming because lots of students listen to PMQs Unpacked on the podcast as well. And today we've got Mr Beale and some students from Viner School in West London who listen to PMQs Unpacked and they fill in a bingo card. To be honest, they take it much more seriously than Tim Shipman and I when we're doing it. Uh, and so uh, we got them a few of them are in the studio, and so we're going to get them to unpack PMQs, unpack with us as well with their bingo cards. So that's coming up in just a moment. Before that, though, as ever, it's time for the columnists. The columnists with Alibert, Alice Thompson, and Robert Crampton on Times Radio. Yes, they're both here in the studio. Very good morning to Alice Thompson. Hello, Alice. Morning. It's nice to see you, and Robert Crampton. Morning, Matt. When are we going to find out when your... So you, you had your hair dyed for a, a TV, a photo yeah. shoot. And a shave. And a shave. Yeah. Can, can you tell us yet who it's for? No. When it's for it, the Times magazine, but it'll go up online on Friday. On Friday, so we can talk about it next week. Yes. I'm excited. Yeah. And we'll still be... We'll, I think the aftershocks will still be rippling <laughs> five days later. Have you had the Botox yet? I've had Botox years ago. She yeah. made me do that, yeah. yeah. You've got to keep it up if you're going to have it. I know. It was, it's actually great. I think you're looking great. I don't think, Thanks, man. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to objectify you, Robert. I think you're looking no, I don't think you, you don't need it. You don't need mm. it. You don't need it. Uh, right, let's talk about... Uh, let's not get into the tricky question of how we actually solved the boats crisis. Let's talk about Gary Lineker instead, because that's much easier to uh, rustle up mm. uh, a view <laughs> on. Uh, this was Gary Lineker talking to me a few weeks ago about his Twitter. I, I, don't, I, think, I've been, I think I've been a very good boy. I think I've yeah, it's from yeah. Thank my my end of year report was was, was okay, I think. 
Yeah, his report this yeah. time is looking slightly okay. less good after he likened the language being used by Simone Bowman to uh, the Nazis in the 1930s. You just can't do that, is the problem. The no. moment you say Nazis and the moment you start talking about Germany in the war, you've kind of lost the argument because it's just nuclear. And, and you know, if he'd been more subtle, I think he'd have been no. OK. But you can't do that, BBC or not. You just don't, you know, it is don't mention the Nazis. I think those comparisons are very seldom helpful. You might be looking at the Rwandan genocide or Pol Pot or something like that might come into that sort of frame. But the Nazis in the 30s were already, in 1933, they were already sending political opponents off to Dachau to concentration camps, you know, uh, liberal journalists, trade unionists, communists, social democrat politicians were being locked up or assassinated and then the Jews were being expropriated and uh, persecuted, as we all know, and that is not comparable remotely, even leaving aside what happened next in the 40s. Yeah. That is not remotely comparable to a British Home Secretary saying it's not a great idea for thousands of people to arrive here illegally on small boats. And I say that as somebody whose politics are probably broadly aligned with Gary Lineker's mm. and who thinks that uh, our policy towards asylum seekers should be probably be more liberal than it is. But Suella Braverman is not uh, akin to Joseph Goebbels. Yeah. So it's a silly thing to say. And Alice, it goes to the heart of this problem, based on the point that Robert's saying, is that p liberals, people who think they're the nice people and the Tories are the nasty people, mm. don't have an answer to this question of how do you stop mm. thousands of people crossing the channel on small boats. They don't. But on the other hand, what you can say is that the Home Office is a mess and this whole <laughs> system of illegal migrants actually should be sorted out properly. So you should be able to apply properly, you should get through the channels and it should all be speeded up and you should be able to work here if you are uh -huh. uh, seeking asylum here and your case is heard and uh, it's agreed you should come in. So I think the problem is it's just a mess and actually what we get instead is the boats. So I don't just want, you know, we'll carry on with the boats and we'll send them all off to Rwanda. What you want really is a system that, that operates effectively so that people who are seeking asylum do get asylum if they need it. And, and I but, think that's what's always been the problem with this. And actually what Suella should be more honest about is she's trying to put as many things in place as possible to say to people, do not come over here. Yeah. And she's just trying to stop people coming over. And that's worked quite effectively in Denmark and in various places around Europe when you're so anti-immigrant that people give up. But I think it's quite disingenuous to pretend that we think this is going to work very well or that actually we are going to get people going to Rwanda. I mean, do they hope that basically a massive row, to which Gary Lineker has contributed in his own small way, um, helps to send that message? Because ultimately, what they want is for people to think it's not worth getting into the boat. But bearing in mind, these people, you know, they, the fact they already think it's worth getting into yeah, a boat with, you know, a flimsy boat bought by some crooks and set And in this temperature. Exactly. They're already pretty willing to, you know, risk everything to try and come here. And she's what they're trying to do is tip the balance. They're just like, well, don't even bother doing that. Yeah, I mean, that's clearly... She's trying to yeah, line up some factors to yeah. say don't do it. I mean, there's push factors and pull factors, aren't there? And she's trying to say uh, it's not worth your while. I don't think... Part of the problem is that this has actually been quite professionalised now. They're not, and that's why it's happening, in, uh, happening through the winter. It used to be a summer uh, activity. Yeah. It's now happening through the winter because the boats aren't particularly flimsy necessarily anymore yeah. because the, because the criminal gangs because the criminal gangs and they're yeah, putting yeah. it together and it's and it's all quite efficient it seems. Uh, I mean, I think that part of the problem is making the distinction the, the distinction between asylum and economic migrants. I don't, you know, that asylum yeah it's quite uh, evocative because, uh, uh, because some people have been persecuted. Mm. 
and the economic migrants are always always bad, and we mustn't have those. When a lot of these people are clearly not proper asylum seekers, they're economic yeah. migrants. But I think economic migrancy is okay. I think if you we need the we've got a labour shortage. Yeah. We need the people here. We need to regularise the whole system of immigration and, actually, and get the workforce that we need. We've always needed immigration. In we this touched country. on this a bit yesterday, but the, the, <laughs> while this government's trying to be very hard line on all this, we've taken back control of our borders. Actually, the number of you know, immigration's gone up massively. Yeah. Uh-huh. And student immigration. So that's what's yeah. happened. A lot of them come in with families. But the yeah. difficult thing is, Robert says we need people to work, but they can't actually work when they come here, no, that, which that's... is so difficult. We're, we're putting them up and we're not letting them work. And I think a lot of them get incredibly depressed and yeah. down. And That's what I'm and, saying, because they go into the asylum system. Whereas we should just admit that, you know, and they should be able to admit that, well, I'm not here for asylum, I'm here for a job, yeah? And go straight and, into the labour market. Yes. If uh, yeah. So, we, I mean, we've had loads and loads of messages on this. Uh, Sam from Brecon says, Gary Lineker, more power to you, Gary. Don't be silenced by these hypocritical constrainers of free speech who insist you stay in your lane. Evil thrives when good men remain silent. And then Paul in Wolverhampton says, I recently retired, having spent the last 30 years of my life in local government working in housing. The council I worked for had about 22,000 houses, but usually between six and 7,000 people on the waiting list. Can Gary Lineker and those who agree with him tell us where we can find the homes and resources to cope with 40,000 people coming to the country each year via the channel, mm. plus the legal immigration? What do we tell the people already on the housing list? Perhaps Gary Lineker could give us some advice. Mm. That's an excellent point. It's a really good point. Yeah, I mean, we need the people to work here, but we also need to be able to accommodate them uh and i don't see that happening yeah and actually that's where quite a lot of the the public attitude towards immigration it's not a sort of old school old school inverted commas sort of enoch powell it really isn't i mean there was a survey there was a survey in the week about british social attitudes i mean we're amongst the most liberal in the world in the entire in the world we don't have a problem with immigration i don't think but that's also a separate housing issue we don't have enough housing issue it's a gp dot it's a resources resources issue but that's not just the immigration issue i mean that's what we should be sorting out we should be sorting out housing yeah yeah and if gary wants some views on Green belt, or yeah, uh, but I think it's a cheap shot from Gary Lineker because I think he's done a lot of uh good with a lot of what he's yeah. his, his tweets and what he and his supportive stances that he's taken on various issues in football and so on. But this is not this is not an intelligent contribution, to and also the, it goes back to the point it's not about free speech, you know, silencing free speech. The point is that Gary Lineker has a job that he's very well paid for from a public service broadcaster, mm-hmm. and lots of his colleagues have to abide by rules which he, yeah, with much lower profiles actually, which he doesn't. Um, uh, is, you know, it goes back to the Sue Gray question. It's not whether or not it's a smart move for her to do it, but it's the yeah. impact on the civil service. Danny Finkelstein's very good at say. Anyway, mm. let's talk about your mm-hmm. colleague. Never mind Danny Finkelstein, he's not here. Alice, let's talk about your <laughs> colleague today. Um, uh, I mean, a, a, an extraordinary column about flashing and your experience of it and the experience of every woman, uh, it seems, uh, on the receiving end of it. And and the direct link that that then has to Wayne, Wayne Cousins, as we saw again this week. Yeah, so what I'm not saying in the column is that everyone who flashes is going to end up being like Wayne Cousins and is um, likely to kill someone. What I am saying is that the fact that almost every woman has been flashed at, so over half of women have had either what you call a dick pic, which is a, a picture of being sent of someone's genitals, quite often in public places, which tend to be tubes, trains, buses, or they've been flashed at, is huge. So it it is extraordinary that so many women have had this. But actually, what I'm saying is it it constrains women. It's not that, that... they're all going to turn into murderers. It's the fact that you're constantly worried and thinking about the fact that someone may flash at you or you go for a run late at night in the woods and you think someone might jump out. Mm. It, it's just minor aggressions that that really matter and build up and, and stop you in the end from being able to live a sort of normal life. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. interesting, Robbie. I was sort of reading the thing, Alice is right, that not all 
flashers are rapists. But of course not. No. Probably most rapists are fla- fla- you know flashers. That's the yes, it's clearly a, yes. a thread that you can follow. Serial killers start out by killing animals, don't they? Yeah. Killing pets, and yeah. although obviously most of them then don't go on to kill people, but yeah. they all they tend to start out small. Uh, yeah, I think it's part. It's on a it's on a spectrum, and it should be tackled. I think it should be zero tolerance. Yeah, I think you, your I point, think, your column analysis, is that if you actually being quite, instead of people saying it's disproportionate, if you're mm. really hard line on the start of the spectrum, you might stop more yeah. of the yeah. trouble. Yeah. Well, it's zero tolerance, yeah, isn't it? So you can zero, say yeah. that the police don't have time to do this; they don't even have time they, to look at rape cases or domestic abuse cases. But that's but where they start. It's the fact that you're saying yeah. that actually this is just unacceptable. It's, yeah. make, it makes people stop and think, and actually, you know, before you talk about flashes, and everyone would laugh. Yeah. And, and you just can't laugh anymore. I don't. Think. I think it's a di- in terms of metaphors, it's a difference between the tip of the iceberg and the two and the rotten apple kind of. You know, the police said, "Oh, it's yeah, one, yeah. one, one rotten apple." I don't accept that. Yeah. Just as I don't accept that uh, one uh, uh, Wayne Cousins is yeah. a, uh, a bad apple. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think it's the tip of the iceberg, and I think the and I think you have to address the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and also, it just ruins your day. So you it ruins your day. I mean, my daughter. About, yeah. yeah, my daughter was saying this the other day. She's going for a run, and there's a bunch of builders. You know, I mean, that's sort of classic stuff. Uh, not wolf whistling, but just sort of making her life less pleasant. Less pleasant. Yeah, yeah less pleasant. Yeah, and yeah. In, in, in interposing themselves in her life in a way that they weren't invited to. Yeah. So, like Which Wayne I'll, Cousins, I thought I genuinely thought the most extraordinary part was that McDonald's when he twice went yeah. and flashed at the yeah. McDonald's, and two members of staff said. You know, this is mm. deeply inappropriate behaviour, and they didn't do anything about it. Yeah, and and that would have ruined their day. They'd have gone back home and yeah, just felt yeah, slightly yeah. sleazy and disgusting. Yeah, yeah. And actually, had that been investigated properly, they'd ruined his day a bit. Then maybe it might have slightly changed the course. Yeah, of yeah. If we taken it more seriously. Later. Yeah, and we haven't taken it historically. Yeah. We haven't taken it seriously in this country, and and we probably still don't. We take it a bit more yeah. seriously now. But we probably don't take it seriously yeah, yeah. as we ought to. Well, as ever, it's a great column. As uh, you can find that online, of course. Uh, if you are with time to subscribe, uh, let's talk about books and reading. One in three secondary school teachers believe that boys view being asked to read as a punishment. Mm. According to a new YouGov survey, seventy-one uh, percent said there's been an increase in reluctant readers in the past three years. Um, so we thought we'd uh, ask uh, someone who's. <laughs> Well, his job it is to try and get more voice to read. Anthony Horowitz, author of the Alex Ryder series, The Power of Fire, The Diamond Brothers, as well as a host of other children and young adult fiction. Anthony, what do you make of this poll? Well, the word punishment certainly made my uh, eyebrows rise. I've never heard that before. I mean, many people talk about children not enjoying reading, particularly boys, and how hard it is to get kids reading. But I have to say it's the first time I've ever heard reading described as a punishment, uh, although that is only an opinion. I don't think it's an actual fact about it. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, apart from that, it's, 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 it is, of course, worrying. When once I spend half my life trying to uh, bring children into the world of books and fiction because, of course, it's done so much for me. Mm. Um, what do you two make of it, Alice Robert? My mother actually spent her entire life um, <laughs> teaching dyslexic children and she had a school for dyslexic children and she taught at Barts and set up the institute there. And she had a publishing company for dyslexic children. So she was obsessed by getting children to read, but her view was just read anything. And mm. actually, I've interviewed Anthony Horowitz and you were amazing. My, I, I took <laughs> my son, who hates reading, and Anthony has this extraordinary room, don't you, where there's a sort of secret room which you can go and find. And after that, he read all his books. Wow. Well, well done, Anthony. You're doing... 
you're, yeah. you're, you're, one reader at a time. Yes. <laughs> the yeah, it's funny, it was just yesterday I was in Parliament at the launch of a, of a campaign called the Great School Libraries Campaign. And it's an interesting piece of timing here because the report has discovered that actually one in four, a quarter of all schools in Wales, where this new story emanates from, has no library in its school. Mm. Uh, and of the libraries that are in Wales, uh, no less than 75% of them, I think, have no full-time librarian. So... If you're looking at reasons why children in Wales in particular are uh, maybe finding reading uh, difficult, you need to look no further than that. The entire idea of the campaign is to give all children in the country access to a well-equipped library, a well-funded library, full of good, enticing books. And that is the first and obvious way to get reading into, into their bloodstream. Well, probably the, the, simple, the easiest simple way would be to get J.K. Rowling to write another Harry Potter book. An eighth no, that's a little unfair. There are an enormous <laughs> of really good children's books. No, I know that. I know there are, but that would that would that would boost the numbers. No, I don't I think, think it is just a question of getting J.K. to write more books. Uh, frankly. Actually, somebody would read them. I imagine somebody would start burning them. Um, Maybe they would nowadays, yeah. yeah. I think what got me into reading as a young uh, boy was uh, uh, comics, actually. That was yeah. good. I think that's a probably good... I don't know whether a seven, eight, nine-year-old boys still have a lot of uh, comics to choose from, but I think uh, that was a kind of gap, uh, a kind of bridge for yeah. me to... I agree with you on that, Rob. My mm. first love in, in reading was uh, Tintin. Not exactly mm. a graphic novel, so it's sort of slightly more elevated than that, but that's where I began my reading journey. But the point is that if you have a library in a school, you will find the book that appeals to you, and it can just be a graphic novel, a comic strip, or whatever. It can be J.K. Rowling, it can be me, mm. it can be anybody. You know, the, you have to start the journey somewhere, and the library is the best place. And, Anthony, when do you think specifically about your readers uh i mean of course you think about your readers um but are you sort of thinking or oh, is this the sort of thing that would keep boys more engaged does that, does that go through your mind when you write when you approach a new book i live inside the book when i'm writing it man mm. to i don't really think about marketing i don't think about the audience i don't think about you know what what works but i do remember being a child i remember finding books for the first time and and discovering the sort of the extraordinary pleasure that books brought to me which is why the word punishment seems so strange to me because mm. uh, when i was eight and nine years old books that were were my um what, what, what became my life and it was how i discovered that i wanted to be a writer because i loved story um, and what about the the um, what what we can do? What about sorry, social media? That's what I wanted to ask you about. Is that obviously there's more competition these days? Uh, there's so many other things that you can do other than reading a book. I mean, I'm guilty of that. You know, I probably spend mm. more of my evening flicking through Twitter before I go to bed than I actually spend in reading when I get into bed. Do you take that into account? Uh, thinking about I know shorter attention spans. Do chapters have to be shorter? I don't know if there's is that having any impact on your writing process. No, not really. I'm a great believer in the power of story. And of course, it's not just children who are trapped by social media. Go on any tube train in London these mm. days. And all you see is people staring at the palm of their hands in restaurants now, a common sight. <laughs> Families no longer speaking to each other, just sort of staring blankly downwards. When I had my children grow up, we used to have a, a, a rule, which was no texting at the table. Mm -hmm. And that holds good here, that, you know, one tries to get phones and all the rest of social media out of one's life. But the truth of the matter is that there has always been competition for children. You know, Ten years ago, we'd have been having a conversation about how television is getting in the way of reading mm -hmm. or anything else is getting in the way of reading. And what I think is needed is just a little more time. Schools, and this is after all the school report that has uh, prompted this discussion, are so sort of stuck with the national curriculum. It's 
with so many demands on teachers' time, but it is actually very difficult to come up with a sort of silent reading, the shared text, the sort of the moments of the day when you can actually enjoy reading a book simply because of the pace of life. And that's really what we need to do is carve out time at school for children to enjoy books, not to do comprehension, but just to enjoy the stories and to talk about books mm. with their and with each other. And of course, at home, busy parents who don't have a time to, to read to their children uh, when the children are eight, nine years old will regret it later in life. I always mm. say children will share their books with you, but not their computer games. Yeah, my mum always said the thing that she found extraordinary is that parents would say, how do I get my child to read? And yet they never read a book themselves. And she said, well, actually, mm. if you at one moment say to them, you know what, I'm sorry, I'm too busy, I'm reading this book, then mm. it makes it sound like a book is an exciting thing to do. But if yeah. they never see you read a book, they're thinking, why yeah. are you pushing this on me? What's yeah, the point? Yeah, a good thought. Yeah. This is all good advice. I'm currently trying to get my daughter yeah. to read more, so it's all good. All right. Sorry, go on, Anthony. I said, sorry, I didn't mean to jump in. I was going to just agree with that yeah. comment and say that one in 10 books do not, one in 10 homes have no books. One in no. 10 children grow up without the ownership of a book. And that's a sort of a, a terribly sad statistic. You can see, if you can see me on this screen, I'm mm. surrounded. You're yeah. surrounded by books and um, Tintin right, memorabilia. Is that what? Yeah. Is that what you're I do love the knife, yes. <laughs> and he's got Thompson and Thompson. That's yeah. what got me into Tintin. There we are. It's oh, my really. name. Oh, very good. Anthony Horwitz, the author, joining Alibert, Alice Thompson and Robert Crampton to give us their take on the news. And of course, you can read them in The Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box uh, if you want to subscribe. And in fact, if you do subscribe right now, there's a special offer on. You get four months for a pound. Uh, but you need to do that by Friday, by the end of this week. Yeah, four months for a pound to subscribe to The Times. Right, lovely stuff. Up next is PMQ's Unpacked. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast now. It's time for this. PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Matt Chorley and Tim Shipman. Welcome along to PMQ's Unpacked. Tim Shipman's here, Sunday Times Chief Political Commentator. Tim, how are you? I'm very well, Matthew. We've got an easy half hour ahead. We don't need to do any analysis at all. Because Excellent. Also uh, joining us uh, from Viner School in West London, uh, we've got Mr Beale, the politics teacher. Hello, Mr Beale. Hello there, Matt. And we've got uh, Kira Davis. Hello, Kira. Hello. 
uh, Annabelle Glenister. Hello. And William Parker. Hello. And we've got our bingo cards, uh, which you fill in every week during the politics lessons, uh, predicting what might come up on PMQs. Uh, Tim, what have you got on your bingo card? I've gone for a smorgasbord because it's a bit on. I've got you think the word smorgasbord Han- might come no, up. No, that's okay. not on there now. Okay. I've got immigration, Hancock, budget, Ukraine, NHS, COVID, ECHR, Brexit, doctors. Blimey, that is quite a lot. Uh, I've got, so what have I written down? Migration, I've written migration and immigration. That's not going to work, is it? Jeremy Corbyn, WhatsApps, strikes, Gary Lineker, Matt Hancock, COVID, and I've written down strikes again. I need to come up with some better ones. Uh, Mr. Beale, what have you got on yours? I've got inquiry, uh, immigration. Well, just any mention of an inquiry. Any mention of an inquiry. See, that's quite smart. It's gone broad. Yeah. But I put it in the top left-hand corner. It's not necessarily going to get a house. Uh, Small boats, tax, Sue Gray is in the centre for me. I feel it's... Sue, I'm, yeah. I'm nicking Sue Gray as well. Um, con, Yvette Cooper last night talking about the immigration bill really made the idea about it being a con, so I think maybe Keir Starmer might lead that in. It might be part of the messaging. Uh, Macron might be mentioned yeah. with his visit coming up. Um, the ECHR and strikes. And Tim, do you understand the synoptic links that we're supposed to find in the PMQs? I'm sorry. There's <laughs> <laughs> the bit about studying earlier and it not just being work. I think I must have spent yeah, uh, a, so, so too much time drinking. In the middle of our bingo cards, I've, tweet, I've tweeted it so you can, you can play along at home. PMQ synoptic links says Constitution, democracy, parties and pressure groups, elections, devolution in EU, Supreme Court, PM in cabinet, cabinet and Parliament. And so we need to sit, look for those apparently. So Mr. Bill's going to talk us through it. Yeah, just as they come up, you know, when when something's being said and there's obviously a link between these key topics in uh, A-level politics, that's when we make those links. And you're going to score, we're all scoring them out of five at the the end, so we'll do that and we'll round that over the end as well. Uh, Right, if we are, if you are watching along uh, on the YouTube channel, let us know where you're watching. Oh, blimey, there's loads of you watching. Hi from White and Snowy Taunton, Richard from Fleet. Yep, this man who stopped me for a selfie once, but luckily I was... Sober. Uh, Mary says hello from cold and sunny Bothwell. Greetings from Ipswich, says Ian. Um, uh, hello from snowy Leicestershire, says Stephen. Half of them are families. Are your family? Uh, That's good. We'll take them. We don't, we don't, we don't mind who they are as long as they're, they're listening. Uh, I'm watching along. Um, so somebody says, should Matt Chorley be wearing a tie? They've done a poll. 60% say no, so that's fine. Uh, are you happy with that, Mr. Beale? As a tie wearer myself at this point, then I say... Mm, I can't, mm. Hello from Indiana, says Marie. Uh, Martin says, come on, I've woken up for this. You, well, if it's anything like last week's Martin, you'll be soon back to sleep. Uh, who knows where no, we'll go. do I'll... stick around. Yeah, do stick around. It'll be definitely worth it for uh, the students' analysis, if not for mine and Tim's. Right, here we go then. PMQ's Unpacked Live. Pencils and bingo cards at the ready. Let's go live to the House of Commons. This is Keir Starman, question number one. Uh, Thank you, Mr Speaker. And today, on International Women's Day, we celebrate the successes of women in our society. It's a crying shame that, as we do so, we face legislation which drives a coach and horses through our world-leading modern slavery framework, which protects women from exploitation. Mr Speaker, in the last decade, this Government has introduced five plans to tackle illegal immigration, five utter failures. The problem just gets worse with every new gimmick. The Home Secretary says the public are sick of tough talk and inadequate action. Does he agree with her assessment of this government's record? Well, Mr 
Mr Speaker, what the Honourable Gentleman fails to recognise is that there is a global migration problem. We are not alone in facing these challenges, and it is precisely because it is precisely because that across Europe the numbers escalating to the extent they are, we have brought forward new plans because we are determined. Mr. Speaker, to ensure that this remains a compassionate and generous country, that that is done fairly and legally. That's why we will break the criminal gangs, Mr. Speaker. We've announced new agreements with Albania and France, tougher immigration enforcement, and now new legislation that makes it clear that if you come here illegally, you will be detained and swiftly removed. But, Mr. Speaker, what we haven't heard is the Honourable Gentleman's plan. We know what it is it's open door immigration. Unlimited asylum. Whilst he may be on the side of the people smugglers, we're on the side of the British people. Oh wow, there's quite a lot to I'm uh, uh, um, picking all of that. Um, first of all, Keir Starmer's question, uh, making the point that essentially, with Tim, we've got Conservative uh, ministers, Swell Barfman, essentially attacking the last 13 years of Conservative government. Uh, yes, um, and bizarrely, last night the government put out this. Um, thing talking about how people would not get access to our modern slavery system, which is most peculiar, um, given that most people don't think modern slavery is a It sounded system. like you if you'd join... come here, you could only join here our modern slavery yes. system, become a slave, if you'd come here legally, seemed to be the uh, the implication of the graph that they put out. There was then a slightly strange question that sort of said, do you, do you agree with me that you're rubbish? Um, which didn't quite get us anywhere, I don't think. But, yeah. Um, uh, you know, and then a very tough response from Sunak, um, who knows that the polls are on his side on this um, and that a lot of the key seats he needs to win uh, are supportive of what he's doing. Yeah. Um, and I would have thought 70% of the House of Commons and the city in which it's located find it horrifying. And uh, that's the politics of the situation. And that is the politics of the situation. Uh, what do we think of it, Gang? Um, so I just did a synoptic link to democracy and elections, just about the reference to public support for migration reform That's and good, public you're, support... You're much better than I am on the, on the synoptic links. Sort of the public support for cracking down on criminal gangs. Yeah. Uh, so, obviously, the Conservatives want to be seen to be doing that in order to have democratic support at the next election. William, what did you write down? Yeah, I also linked to PM and Cabinet with, like, obviously, yeah. the idea of the Home Secretary, like, trying to do this bill. And also the Constitution, how it's, like... It's like debatably illegal for the action of, from the Home Secretary. That's yeah. the whole thing about the like the European Court of Human Rights. Did anybody tick off anything apart from migration on their bingo card? That's the big question. <laughs> well, I put French, so he's talking <laughs> about France. So I got. Two I, you, I think you can take that. You can definitely yeah. take that. Um, the, the line about uh, Labour being in favour of open door immigration mm. on the side of the people smugglers—that's quite. Uh, Bold. Bold. It's punchy. It's quite punchy. Uh, well, let's find out what Keir Starmer makes of that. Let's go back to the House of Commons. This is question number two. Mr Speaker, if he was serious about stopping the boats, he'd actually steal our plan on stopping the boats, smash the gangs, sort out the returns, and clean up the utter mess. Mr Speaker. I'm going to hear this. Oh, it's Lindsay Hoyle. going to... I wouldn't if I were you. But... I think we've heard enough. I want to hear the questions and the answers, and it won't be interrupted. Mr Speaker, nobody on this side of the House wants open borders. On that side, they've lost control of the borders. Now, he's promised the country, he's promised the country that this bill will stop all small boat crossings. No ifs, no buts. 
sounds like more talk. So, in the interest of adequate action, when will he achieve that? Well, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, we'll be implementing this plan as soon as we can pass it through Parliament. So, I look forward to the honourable gentleman's support. But the reality is, Mr. Speaker, on this issue. It, the, the honourable gentleman has been on the wrong side of this. Prime Minister, Mr. Stafford, if you don't want to hear him, you can go and have a good cup of tea, nice and strong, I suspect. But I will hear him, Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, the honourable gentleman has been on the wrong side of this issue his entire career. He, desc- he described all immigration law as racist. He said it was a mistake to control immigration. And he has never, ever voted for tougher asylum laws. It is clear, Mr Speaker, while he's in hock to the open border activists, we're on the side of the British people. Wowzers. Uh, somebody's been doing their research. Um, interesting, Keir Starmer making clear nobody on this side of the House is in favour of open borders. Uh, it's your plan that's not working. Um, but, yeah, clearly because number 10 have uh, decided that they're, they're going to come out studs up on this, Tim. Yeah, I mean, the interesting thing on this is that there's two approaches, aren't there, um, to politics, one of which is that you don't get onto your opponent's patch and elevate what they're interested in, and it's a little bit brave for Starmer to go mm. on immigration. Um, the other approach can be, and sports managers like Alex Ferguson and Bill Belichick used to do this, they used to take out the strongest card of the opponent and say, if we can neutralise you on that... And this is what Boris Johnson tried to do on health at the last election. Yeah, yeah. Neutralise Labour's biggest card and then romp home on our own issues. And in a sense, Starmer is trying to say, look, we've got a plan. We're better than you. We'll implement it. Um, I don't think most people know what Labour's uh, plan is to deal with the small boats. And I think most voters understand that this is not an issue that Labour is instinctively terribly yeah, comfortable yeah. with. Um, and, you know... If 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 Starmer is uh, has not ever voted for controls, that's that is some kind of uh, interesting is, research, is and that, it's an interesting. Is card that to not play. possibly because Labour have always been in opposition while he's being an MP, so he's never actually voted in favour of anything? Uh, well, that may be the case. But I mean, that's a slightly different uh, thing. Right, we've got still got our, our A level political students uh, here. Annabelle, what did you make of that exchange? Uh, well, I've written down like the repetition he's been using lately in PMQs that he's like there for the British people, yeah. emphasis on British people and not people from these struggling communities yeah. that are coming over here. Um, also, like earlier, there was a juxtaposition between like swiftly removing and that compassionate side of conservatives. Um, so I'm getting mixed messages, but I think what they're trying to do is humanise themselves, yeah. um, which is fair enough, but. I don't know if it's really working with me. Did anybody tick off anything else on their bingo card? Small boat's now got a mention. He's so got that's, small boat, so that's, tick. that's ticked that one off. Um, uh, Mr. Bill, what have you made of it so far? Well, I think what's really interesting and has been the case for a couple of weeks now is that uh, this kind of idea of who represents the British people is being contested yeah. over and that the Rishi Sunak side and the Prime Minister side are really trying to pigeonhole and pin certain statements. As you can see there, this is the first time actually we've heard really like previous statements that Keir Starmer has made of which he's got a lot which the, and a bit like Tim was pointing out about trying to maybe skewer him with previous comments but I think it's probably more indicative of the idea that they consider him a really viable candidate to be Prime Minister and are now trying to undermine his, him in as many ways yeah. as possible um, but I, again a bit like Annabelle said I'm not I, it's tricky to see whether it's actually working outside the Westminster bubble, these kinds of things. But it is that, I suppose that ultimate division they're looking for is who is on the side of the British people. 
And the, the language we just heard from Rishi Sunak on, you're on the side of the people smugglers. We've heard before, you're on the mm. side of the strikers. You're on the side, you know, try to paint Keir Starmer's always been on the wrong but side. But on the strikes, he's not, he's on pretty thin ice. Yeah, Because yeah, yeah. the numbers actually show that the public is pretty supportive pretty of the strikers. Yeah, yeah. Even of, on this, you'd be hard pushed to find a poll that suggests less than 70% yeah. of the population wants tough immigration controls. Yeah, yeah. And this is just the issue that... Westminster finds it hardest to deal with. It cannot comprehend that most yeah, of the country yeah. does not like but this. But ultimately, the political risk for this is that uh, Rishi Sunak is, is, by going so hard on it, increasing public awareness of the problem. He's betting the House on his ability to do anything about it, which is where there's real doubts. Yeah, and suggesting you'll stop all the boats is, is yeah, clearly yeah. nonsensical. I mean, that's a sort of Johnsonian statement yeah, rather yeah. than a usual Sunakian <laughs> one. Sunakian. Right, let's go back to the House comments. So this is question number three. Mr Speaker... When I was in charge of prosecutions, I extradited countless rapists and, and the, convi the conviction rate for people smuggling was twice what it is today. I voted against his legislation last time because I said it wouldn't work. Since it became law, the numbers have gone up. He's proved me right. He should be apologising, not gloating. The Prime Minister says they will detain people who aren't eligible to claim asylum here and then return them. Well, they already tried that under the last legislation. Last year, 18,000 people were deemed ineligible to apply for asylum. That's the easy bit, the talk. But as for the action, Prime Minister, how many of them have actually been returned? <laughs> Mr. Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, as... Uh, as a, as a result of the plans we've brought forward, we have almost doubled the number of people returned this year. But he talked about, he talked about laws. He talked about... Uh, Lindsay Hoyle again. I think the front bench needs to be a little quieter because I want to hear... He's now telling off the Labour side. I'm going to... Our constituents want to hear the importance of Prime Minister's questions, both the questions for the answers. Show our constituents the respect they do. Come on, Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, he asked, he, asked, he asked about arrests, he asked about our laws. Actually, when I was in Dover yesterday talking to our law enforcement officials, what did they tell me? Precisely because of the law that the Conservative government passed last year, they have now been able to arrest more than double the number of people they did before. 397 in the last six months. But stopping the boats, Mr Speaker, stopping the boats is not just my priority. It is the people's priority. But his, posi his position on this is clear. He wanted to, in his words, scrap the Rwanda deal. He voted against measures to deport foreign criminals, Mr Speaker, and he even argued against deportation flights. Well, and we know why, because on this matter, he talked about his legal background. He's just another lefty lawyer standing in our way. <laughs> Well, it's a ring of a bell of that. We've not had that. Have you ever had that from Rishi Sunak before? No. It's I a mean, very Johnsonian is, again. I mean, it's like he's had an injection of uh, sort of Boris monkey glands, isn't it? Um, <laughs> um, you know, the Rwanda deal was passed by the by the High Court and it's still regarded as an atrocity by lots of people. Um, and, um, you know, the, the research department has done its work and, um, frankly, um, I think Sunak's winning this at the moment. Yeah. And, and the, the noise behind him is... Um, is pretty good news for the Prime Minister. 
Um, uh, William, what have you got? What did you make of that one this time, Matt? Um, yeah. William, one of our A-level students, is in uh, analysing PMQs on Pat Force. What do you make of it? I agree. I think Rishi Sunak definitely seems more confident in what he's like saying, uh, especially with like the synoptic links. You've got the Rwanda deal about like overturning that. That goes in like the Supreme Court. But um, I think, yeah, I don't. I think Sakir Starmer's trying to like give like build like hammer into um, Rishi Sunak, but it's just not working because I think Rishi Sunak's definitely got more like receipts against uh Sakir Starmer in the sense that he's like he's bring got back his like career in like a, as a lefty lawyer yeah. so he's definitely more like I, I wonder Keir if it's a bit of uh Keir Starmer partly because he's so far ahead of the polls he feels like he can go on an issue like this which clearly isn't his strong suit it feel it feels a bit like he's he's playing at this in a way that Rishi Sunak actually feels more authentic maybe yeah and I think just something I pick up on with the synoptic links also to do with the divisions between the party politics. I guess that's what you're yeah. trying to point out. Uh, so I would argue with like just to link the political parties to the parliament topic yeah. that this is showing a two party system in parliament. And yeah. I also think the um, all the cheering and Lindsay Hoyle having to get the house to <laughs> calm down a little bit is sort of highlighting how divisive our two-party system yeah, really yeah. is it's it's very adversarial it's always like you're on the wrong side we're on the right side uh, and there's no consensus so that would be potentially a line of argument for an essay yeah there's not even a lot of uh, consensus probably within the party mm. i suspect the point that, as well tim is that rishi sunak's getting his mps to cheer i suspect there might be some labor mps behind Keir Starmer who aren't a bit squeamish about all of this. Yeah, and just wondering why he's done it. I mean, what I would expect Starmer to do on a tricky subject like this is to start putting down some markers, asking some questions which he can come back to in two yeah. or three months or six months when, you know, this plan has either uh, worked or not worked or is still in the process of being pushed through and the numbers are still coming in. You know, that's that's where he can score some points on this. And I would have expected him, rather than just sort of banging his head against the wall to sort of put down a few um, things that Specifics. it gets Sunak to commit yeah, yeah, yeah. To, some, to some things. Which is asking six times, when will, when will you stop the boats? That would, Repeatedly would be a, that, a that sort would, of sharper way of well, doing it. and it would have been, yeah, yeah. pretty good TV. Well, I mean, let, let's see if you go back. Uh, he, this is, what, question number four now from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, all that nonsense because he doesn't want to answer the question because he knows what the answer is. The number is 21. I thought it was a man of detail. 21. 21 people out of the 18,000. And what happens to the rest? They sit in hotels and digs for months on end at the taxpayers' expense. Last year, he promised to end the hotel farce. That's the talk. But because of his mess, there are thousands of people who can't claim asylum and can't be returned. So where does he actually think they're going to end up? Yeah. Mr Speaker, he talks about the pressure on our asylum system. Right? So, so it, 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 we, we've actually got a clear plan to stop people coming here in the first place. Mr Speaker, let he, Labour, Labour have absolutely no plan on this issue because they simply don't want to tackle the problem. We introduced, we introduced tougher sentences for people smugglers. They opposed it. We signed a deal with Rwanda. They opposed it. We are deporting foreign offenders as we speak. They oppose it. I'm going to say to the member from Hull, save that good voice for the rugby match. You might be able to join Mr Stafford over that strong cup of tea. Prime Minister. <laughs> Mr Speaker, in fact, he opposed every single step 
of what we've done to try and stop this problem. In fact, his only, his only contribution to this debate well, we know what it is. In his own words, what did he say? We will defend free movement. That's the Labour Party for you, Mr Speaker. I imagine Rishi Sunak would be quite annoyed with the Speaker for interrupting what was turning into his clip for it social was, media. It was beginning to look quite sort of fluent, wasn't it? Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, um, you know, it is what it is. I mean, Starmer had a, um, you know, uh, a good comeback on the numbers. Um, and he can push him harder on how much all this um, housing of people is going to cost. But... Um, you know, uh, these guys at some point are not going to be in the hotels. They're going to be in very attractive ex-holiday camps and military facilities and all the rest of it. Not um, sure how attractive some of the military facilities are. Uh, no. Um, uh, here's an emerging thing. I don't know if you, you've picked up on this. Uh, A-level students with us. Uh, Rishi's, uh, Keir Starmer keeps using the word mess, and Rishi Sunak keeps applying with the no plan. That's the sort of the thing that comes up again and again at, um, uh, at PMQs over. Oh, I don't know how many weeks now we've been uh, sort of going through. Um, going through all of that. Mr Bill, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's really interesting that you say that because it's it, it's like that idea, again, of posturing towards 2025, 2020, where the next election's going to be, and you can already see that idea of trying to build some messages up. I thought as well, actually, what's really interesting, and this is a hangover from Johnson, is this idea of, as a parliament topic, the role of the opposition, the incredulity that the opposition is opposing what they're doing is a really interesting argument that I've never understood, but seems to keep being rolled out about why are you not supporting us? Why won't you vote for us? And also, why crucially, you vote with us? maths in the House of Commons means Richard and I can get this through. It's not like the Theresa May days, so they have got a majority. Uh, just because I'm slightly conscious of time, let's go back uh, to the House of Commons. I think this is question number five from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, he stood there last year saying exactly the same thing. We said it wouldn't work. They passed the law. The numbers went up. <laughs> Absolutely deluded. Um, he can't say where they'll return people because they spent 140 million on Rwanda and it doesn't work. Yeah. They can't say how they'll return people because this bill doesn't come with a single new return agreement. Exactly. And they can't say when they'll fix the mess because it's more talk, more gimmicks, more promises to be broken. Now, a few months ago, I put to him that of the people who arrived on small boats, only 4% had been processed. He stood there and said, that's unacceptable. Yeah. What's the number now? Ah. Mr. Mr Speaker, Mr. Speaker as, a as, a, as, a result, as a result of what we've done, there are now 6,000 fewer people in the caseload of asylum backlog. We're hiring more caseworkers. We're increasing their productivity. And again, he's mistaken when it comes to returns, Mr Speaker, because we do have returns agreements with India, with Pakistan, with Serbia, with Nigeria, and crucially, now with Albania, where we are returning hundreds of people, Mr Speaker. But look, our position on this is clear. If you arrive here illegally, you will not be able to claim asylum here. You will not be able to access the modern slavery system, and you will not be able to make spurious human rights claims. That is the right thing to do. But he's simply he's going on and on about process, hiding behind process, because he doesn't want to confront the substance. We are the party of fairness, and he represents the party of free movement. I'm not sure that works totally well. Um, uh, uh, William, what did you make of it? Uh, again, uh, going into like the preparing for like elections, you've got the rhetoric of like the, the deluded, like very like uh, like like motifs of like you're not ready, you're not prepared. So I think it's quite interesting in that sense. But I think, but again, I think like the media moment, 
Keir Starmer trying to have his media moment like, yeah. going on about, like, you can't do this, you're a failure, da 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 da, da. So I think it's quite interesting. With try, try to land, it's all about, that's all about yeah. the message of social media. I'm not sure to be learned very much there, Tim. Well, I think the interesting thing is that Starmer is kind of almost making a case for why there's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> saying nothing works and it's all terribly difficult. Um, and Sunak's the one actually sort of sitting there trying to say this might be a solution. And Starmer says Rwanda doesn't work. Well, it hasn't been tried yet. It's yeah. still going through the courts. So, I mean, you know, we don't know whether that's the case or not. It's got to go to the Court of Appeal. Um, and I think, um, as my colleague Harry York reported in the paper at the weekend, if they, if they can win the Court of Appeal and it stops there, then they might start having Rwanda flights by December. Um, if it goes to the Supreme Court, we're probably looking at next March before we get them. So, you know, they're desperately trying to put all this stuff in place and um, none of it's yet working. Um, I guess we're about to hear how many of the uh, uh, caseload has been processed. I think Keir Starmer's about to answer his own question. I think he probably I think is. probably was. Right, let's do the last question then and then we'll do your, your scores on the doors. Uh, right, this is question number six from Keir Starmer. I thought he was supposed to be the man of detail. He's gone to all that lens to avoid the detail. He knows the answer to the question. Less than 1% of those arrived by boats have been processed. It shakes his head. It's the government's own statistic. On his watch, on his watch, processing of those boat cases has gone from unacceptable, in his words, to almost non-existent. And doesn't that tell you everything you need to know? After 13 years, small boat crossings higher than ever, claims unprocessed, the taxpayer paying for hotel rooms, criminal gangs running all the way, laughing to the bank, and an asylum sister utterly broken on his watch. This is their fifth Prime Minister, their sixth immigration plan, their seventh Home Secretary, and after all this time, all they offer is the same old gimmicks and empty promises. I don't agree with the Home Secretary on very much, but when she says that the Tories are all talk and no action, she's spot on, isn't she? Uh, Mr Speaker... Prime Minister. Mr Speaker... Illegal immigration enforcement, up. The amount of people processing claims, up. The backlog is down. The number of returns agreements is up. New, new re- hundreds of people returned to Albania and now new laws to detain and deter illegal migrants. It's clear what we stand for, Mr Pisco. We're doing what's right. We are acting with compassion. We are acting with fairness. And we are acting to respect the laws and borders of our country. We are delivering what we said. And it's crystal clear here listening to this, Mr Speaker. It's going to be the Conservatives and only the Conservatives that stop the boats. It's going to be the Conservatives who stop the boats. There's no getting around that, Tim. Uh, no, it's uh, it's pretty um, robust rod for one's back. Um, and as I say, I think you know even people in the government who take a tough line on this think that it's going to be next spring before they start to show any progress on it. Um, and they're hoping they can show just enough before the general election to make this a key dividing line. It's pretty clear it's a key dividing line. Starmer did well there in saying the system's a shamble and nothing you've done so far has worked. Um, but I think, um, you know, inherent in uh, Sunak's replies, and everybody in the chamber knows it, you know, Labour is inherently far less interested in actually... Uh, dealing with this than, than the Tories are now positioning themselves to do. Um, but if Labour is so far ahead in the polls, it's the sort of thing they're going to have to address. Uh, they, yes. can't, they can't think that's not one for us. Uh, no, and it's the kind of thing that has huge traction with um, you know voters in those red wall seats, which the Tories grabbed last time and Labour will be looking to grab back. And it's a dilemma for both parties mm. that if they want to win nationally, 
Uh, they need to sound uh, nice and cuddly to a degree, and if they want to impress um, a certain group of voters, uh, they need to um, uh, swirl things around their heads uh, aggressively on, on this. Yeah. Right, OK, let's do scores on the doors then with our Viner's School bingo card. How, uh, who's got the most things ticked off of the bingo card, do you think? Oh, I did terribly. I only got two. I got four. You got four? Yeah. Four. Oh, four. Go on then, Kira. What did you get, Kira? Oh, I got small boats, illegal migration, deportation, and human rights. Very good. I Anyone? lied. I got five. <gasps> oh. <laughs> um, so I got something about the RAF bases, migration, yeah. um, small boats, and then tax, and then a little bit about human rights. Okay, let's go around. This, around I then. got one. Yeah, yeah, I got. Yeah, I got one. I wrote down. Yeah, <laughs> Gamma Lineker, No mention at all. Unbelievable. How sad. Uh, right, uh, let's do scores on the doors then. Uh, marks out of five uh, for Keir Starmer. Let's we'll go away. Around. I got three. Yeah. Three as well. I gave two and a half. Oh, two, Mr. Bill with Tim Shipman. Uh, I'll give him three because it was a tough topic, and I'll give him two points for that, and I'll give him a point for landing that it's all a mess. It's all a mess. I mean, you get some credit for for tackling something that yes. a previous Labour leader might not have bothered with. Okay, then what about Rishi Sunak's uh, performance, Kira? I got three and a half stars. Oh, Annabelle? I got four. I William? also gave him four, Mr. Bill. Five stars. I think it's his best performance yet at PMQs. Really, Tim. I'm loath to give five, but I agree I that it's exactly his best so. performance, certainly <laughs> in months. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's four or five, isn't it? I'll give him five then, because actually I don't think he could have done much better on that than yeah. he actually did. And he's really striking. I think he's got much better in the House of Commons. I thought it was striking last week. He was much better on the Brexit deal in the Commons than he was at the press conference. And he actually believes this stuff. Yeah, this is yeah, the interesting yeah. thing. You know, his family were migrants. They came to this country. They did it legally, and he... That stuff, when he talks about fairness, he really, really passionately believes that. Yeah. People sort of think, oh, you know, non-white man being tough on immigration, that's a bit discordant. Not to Sunak. He mm. thinks it's totally consistent. And and actually, this this is politically, tactically sensible for the Tories. He also believes it. Um, and I think, yeah, I think that's um, uh, pretty clearly yeah, yeah, his yeah. biggest win at PMQs in a very, very long time. Well, thank you, Cam, for taking us through that. Uh, we've had loads of messages uh, in about you. Neil says on the YouTube channel, great to see the students in the studio with their teacher. Their contributions are insightful and clearly formulated and expressed. Very encouraging to see young people interested and engaged. Superb. So well thank done. You. They're not normally as... Uh, I was waiting for the first person to suggest they replaced us. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, someone else has said, can we have a bell every time someone says synoptic links? <laughs> there we are. I've done that. Uh, thank you to Mr. Bill, to Annabelle, Kira and William. Thanks so much for coming in. Lara Hello. Spirits, uh, Times Redbox supporter, has made it in. She's been watching the rest of PMQ so that you don't have to. Uh, bringing us uh, the best of the rest. Who are we starting with, first of all, Lara? So we're going to do the full Stephen Flynn exchange. A full a Stephen Flynn? So it is actually very... Two questions from Stephen Flynn today. The first that we'll play now, uh, which he relates to International Women's Day, uh, is a question regarding whether or not a... Well, it's a migration question, whether or not a woman who comes to the country via a small boat uh, who has been trafficked uh, has any recourse to modern slavery rules under the new legislation. So I think it's worth listening Should to this. the whole thing. OK, lovely stuff. <laughs> Mr Speaker, on International Women's Day... Can I ask the Prime Minister to reconfirm that under his proposed new asylum laws, a woman who is sex trafficked to the UK on a small boat by a criminal gang will not be afforded protection under our modern slavery laws? Mr Speaker, Mr. Speaker it's precisely because we want to target our compassion and our resources on the world's most vulnerable people that we must get a grip of this system and break... Can I just say to the SNP, it's quite right the questions are asked. 
but I also want to hear the answer. Shouting from up there is not helping anybody. Prime Minister. Uh, Mr. Speaker, as I said, it's precisely because we want to target our resources and our compassion on the world's most vulnerable people that we need to get a grip of this system. Make sure that we have control over our borders. Make sure our, our system and resources are not overwhelmed so that we can help the people most in need. There is nothing fair, there is nothing compassionate about sustaining a system where, as we saw recently, people are dying on these crossings. That is not right, and our plans will stop that from happening. Mr. MacDonald, I don't need to hear you chunnering all the way through. You can be <laughs> Lindsay Hall, certainly on one today. Come on, Stephen Flynn. Let's go back. Question two to Stephen Flynn. I'll take that as a yes from the Prime Minister that women who are the victims of sex trafficking will not be protected under our modern slavery laws. What a complete and utter disgrace, Mr Speaker. But whilst it may shock, it shouldn't necessarily surprise, because this is the Tory government that in recent months has spoken of invasions. Just yesterday, this was the Tory government that said that 100 million people could be coming to these shows. And this is the Tory government that this morning said that number could in fact be billions. Complete and utter nonsense. So may I ask the Prime Minister, from whom are his government taking inspiration? Nigel Farage or Enoch Powell? And what a load of nonsense, Mr Speaker. Load of nonsense. No, the, in fact, the, the figure of 100 million it doesn't come from the government. It comes from the United Nations, Mr. Speaker, and it illustrates the scale of the global migration crisis that the world is grappling with. Which is why it is right that we take action, Mr. Speaker. Because if we do not. The numbers will continue to grow. They have more than quadrupled in just two years. It's a sign of what is to come, and our system will continue to be overwhelmed. And if that happens, we will not be able to help the people who are most in need of our support, our generosity, and our compassion. This has always been the way of this country. And once we get a grip of this system, that's who we can extend our support to. And that's why it's the right legislation. That's interesting, that, uh, Laura. SNP coming at this from the far more from the left that we might have previously expected from the Labour Party. Yeah, exactly. That was absent entirely. You will have heard and obviously analysed the discussion between uh, Keir Starmer and Rishi Sunak earlier and Stephen Flynn there, uh, you know, using the comparison to uh, Enoch Powell and Nigel Farage, which I thought was interesting in and of itself, given obviously, uh, you know, the reputation that that famous uh, Rivers of Blood speech has from uh, the former Conservative Secretary of State. But uh, I think more, you know, even more interesting Rishi Sunak's response, which was uh, to not shy away at all from a full-throated yeah, yeah, yeah. defence of this policy and response. And I think he's completely convinced that the public are on his side of this, regardless of the comparisons to that language that come from the opposite benches. Interesting, uh, Stephen Flynn, that, that line on Nigel Farage or Enoch Powell, uh, Tim, the, the 100 million number is one that Suella Bravman's put out saying, I think this is writing in the mail, uh, there are 100 million people displaced around the world and likely billions more eager to come here if possible. Well, look, the government's official estimate of how many people might want to move to Britain is officially quotes limitless um the estimate of how many are likely to come on small boats this year is 50 percent higher than last year because of what appears to be but that's tens of thousands mass, that's t yes, i mean i'm not so no, i'm not, no. I'm not playing no, no, it down no, but that no, in no. terms of the numbers no, no. Yeah. but but that's the difference between sort of um 
50 and 80,000 people trying to get on boats because of what they see uh, as a big migration going on through Central Asia at the minute, coming out of Afghanistan and moving, uh, still people coming out of Syria. Um, it's that kind of uh, part of the world. So these numbers, I think, are fairly internationally recognised that there's a lot of people on the move. Um, and I think I don't think Sunak's wrong to say that this is a sort of systemic issue that's going to be with us for several decades in all likelihood. Um, I'm just struck every time I look at those pictures and you have a... Uh, an, you know, and, uh, a Prime Minister of Asian Extraction sitting next to a Home Secretary of Asian Extraction, both of whom are hammering a hard line on immigration. And I think people who think this is as straightforward as it's nice to let people come here or it's not nice to not let them come here um, are missing a trick, really. And Stephen Flynn, you know, is a very uh, adept politician in terms of his own base. Um, but um, it's, uh, you know, in terms of the, the nation and the polling, uh, it's Sunak that's on the winner here. Yeah, and it's certainly, although I suppose the, the politics of Scotland might be slightly different, they, you know, they're each playing to their base. Indeed. Um, let's go, well, who else have you got then, Lama? Who else did you pick out as worth uh, worth a listen? So the final one I had, there were a couple of, it was actually quite a good-natured backbench uh, PMQ session today, and you had a lot of questions uh, regarding International Women's Day, of course, yeah. uh, and you had one from Rosie Duffield, uh, which I think we'll listen to now, uh, which, uh, you know, Rosie rises to her feet to the cheers of those from the Conservative benches and not uh, to those from the Labour benches. Explain or to people who don't know, because sometimes the sort of Rosie Duffield thing is like a slightly, ab you know, complicated issue. What, what, explain her, her role in the Labour Party. So Rosie Duffield, uh, who, Rosie Duffield seen now to be uh, in conflict with uh, the party leadership's lines on, uh, you know, the trans issue particularly. Uh, there's kind of allegations that she's been, uh, she's been kind of, you know, bullied or the subject of, uh, of kind of unpleasant abuse online and elsewhere and that the Labour leadership haven't necessarily stood up for her uh, in the way that she and others would have liked. And so this question today uh, was, uh, you know, very interesting, definitely very uh, pointed to those uh, on her own benches. She, uh, she asked whether in the run-up to May's local elections, uh, it was right for candidates to be quizzed by uh, residents and those that they knock on the doors of about their positions on on women's uh, issues, uh, pointing implicitly, I think, to uh, the ambiguity from you know Sir Keir Starmer that many have alleged he has, uh, and he is greeted. She is greeted with uh, a huge amount of uh, support from uh, Rishi Sunak in this question. So I think it's interesting to, Co to complicated politics are very complicated. Well, let's take a listen. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. As today is International Women's Day, does the Prime Minister agree with me that voters in the run-up to May's local elections have every right to ask candidates who are standing for a position of responsibility in local government questions relating to women's rights? And does he believe that as representatives of their political parties, all candidates must answer those questions honestly, politely and with respect while standing on a voter's doorstep? Well, Mr Speaker, the, uh, the Honourable Lady makes an excellent point and I wholeheartedly agree with her. The, these are important questions. Voters deserve to have clear and straightforward answers to them uh, and I hope that she can continue to put her campaign forward. She'll have my full support and I hope in the local elections we can debate these issues in the way that they should be. Obviously, local elections coming up in May. I mean, part of the problem, uh, Tim, is that this is, the trans question is so complicated. There aren't clear and straightforward answers. Uh, no, there aren't, and I don't think most people follow the, you know, um, loath to say the ins and the outs of it, but, um, you know, that's what we're talking about, yeah. and it's just, um, it's difficult, isn't it? Um, it's not one that lends itself to sort of sloganising, um, but often it's one that is reduced to it. Um, Sunak's answer could be loosely translated as, if you wish to stand as a Conservative, you'd be more than welcome. Although uh, I had a conversation with a uh, prominent Conservative MP a couple of weeks ago who said he was really struggling to find people to even stand uh, for the Conservatives. That's why we spent um, half-term week trying to rustle up candidates. So. 
There we are. Uh, lovely stuff. I feel like we've covered a lot of ground there. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. And you can listen via the Times Radio app. Catch me Monday to Friday, 10 to 1, live on Times Radio. And if you want to come on and play the hugely popular quiz, can you get to number 10? Email me your details, matt.chorley at times.radio. And we'll get you on very soon. Hold up. 